0: Here's God's word from Psalm number two. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now in need. In need of spiritual help, in need of your grace, O oh Lord, to open our eyes so that we may behold the wondrous things in your word, Lord, we ask you to incline our hearts toward your testimonies and not towards our own selfish gain. Help us, Lord, we pray in this time, in the name of your son Jesus, amen. One of my routines that I do each weekday morning um, is to to listen to a a podcast. The podcast is called The World and Everything in It. It is a a daily news program. Uh, It's produced uh, by evangelical Christians who uh, report the news from a biblical worldview. And so if you're looking for a good alternative to getting the news uh, from uh, the biased and uh, secular mainstream media sources and I'd hi- highly recommend the world and everything in it. Uh, on their podcast this past Friday morning, they announced that each Friday during Advent, uh, they would share and discuss a historic Advent hymn, which piqued my interest uh, because I love hearing and learning about the hymns of the church. Uh, so the first uh, Advent hymn that they uh, feature this week was one that I was not familiar with at all. Uh, it's known as O Come Divine Messiah. It was written by a French hymn writer and first published way back in 1708, and then uh, it was translated into English about 150 years later. Um, and so since uh, Psalm 2 had been on my mind uh, all week, I was, I was struck by the contrast between the hymn and what we hear in this psalm, which is also uh, an ancient hymn. Uh, both songs refer to the Messiah, uh, which is what the Jews referred to as the Lord's anointed one, uh, who is the focus of, of Psalm 2 that we just read. Uh, the Greek translation of Messiah is, of course, the Christ. You've all just heard Psalm 2 and hopefully have Psalm 2 opened in front of you, so now I want you to listen to just a few lines of the hymn, O Come, Divine Messiah, and, and compare, compare and contrast. So here it is. O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. O Christ... Whom nations sigh for, whom priest and prophet long foretold, come break the captive fetters, redeem the long-lost fold. Now, the hymn envisions a much different posture for the world towards the Messiah than does Psalm 2. In the hymn... It says, the world in silence waits the day of the Messiah's appearing, of his coming. In Psalm 2, it says, the nations and the peoples plot and set themselves against the Lord and against his Messiah. In the hymn, Christ is the one whom the nations Sigh for, or we could say, whom they long for. But in Psalm 2, Christ is the one whom the nations rage against. The hymn calls for Christ to come and break the captive fetters of his people. While in Psalm 2, the peoples of the earth compare their relationship with the Lord and his Christ as one where they are slaves who have rebelled against God and desire to set themselves free from serving the Lord. As it says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So at this time of year, with all the Christmas decorations that we see going up around us and radio stations playing Christmas music nonstop, Um, schools having Christmas concerts and even high school choirs going around to churches and performing Christmas carols for us, which was a great blessing. We can come under a false impression that everyone loves Christmas, that everyone is very happy about the truth that the Son of God came into the world. But of course the truth is that the world is very foolishly at enmity against God. And that most people hate the idea of submitting themselves under the rule of the Lord's anointed king. So maybe a more accurate song would be, Oh, stay up there, divine Messiah. The world rages against the day. We'd prefer to never see hope triumph and for you to stay away. That's the sentiment for most people of the world throughout history and especially today. Although, as the psalm shows us, it is insane for anyone to believe they are better off without the Lord's Christ. And it's incredibly foolish to not only reject him, but to rise up against him as his enemy. This psalm shows us that he will either be your savior or your judge. And as one Bible teacher put it, there is no refuge from him, only in him. So here's our main theme from Psalm 2. It's that we must be in a right relationship with God's son, the sovereign king, judge, and savior of the nations we must be in a right relationship with god's son the sovereign king judge and savior of the nations so since, since we are in advent we're going to be looking at these psalms specifically to see what they are telling us about the advent or the appearing of the son of god into the world and psalm 2 is one of those psalms that tells us about the coming of the son and who he is what his role will be in the world and that's what we will be focusing on then in this sermon? Who is the Christ? And what is he being sent into the world to do? So first we're going to look at God uh, establishing the sovereign rule of his son. God will establish the sovereign rule of his son primarily focused on verses 4 through 7. Uh, Verses 1 through 3 tell us the relationship that the unbelieving world has toward their creator, uh, this is their attitude toward God. They, they rage and they plot, setting themselves up against the Lord. That is against Yahweh. Uh, the translation of the Lord is, is the name Yahweh, Israel's covenant redeemer. And it says against Yahweh's anointed. Their goal is to set themselves free from the sovereign authority of God over them. Now, This is the only place in the Bible that we find this description of the foolish rebelliousness of humanity and their hatred toward God. Recall in the time of Moses what Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, what he gave in response um, to the Lord uh, when uh, Moses came um, to Pharaoh and and, uh, demanded that uh, uh, he let God's people go into the wilderness so they could worship the Lord. In Exodus 5-2, Pharaoh responds derisively uh, to Moses and the Lord. He says, who is the Lord, or who is Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Then he says, I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh believed that he did not have to fear Yahweh. He did not have to fear the Lord that he could do whatever he wanted with the Lord's people, as immediately after this meeting with Moses, um, um, Pharaoh increased the workload for the Israelite slaves so that they would suffer even more under his rule. And so do I have to remind you what happened to Pharaoh? What happened to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians who rebelled against the Lord and believed they could just throw off any authority that the Lord held over them? Well, first the Lord sent ten destructive and embarrassing plagues upon the Egyptians. And then when they foolishly pursued God's people as they crossed the Red Sea that the Lord had parted so they could escape, the Lord then destroyed Pharaoh and his mighty army by just causing the two walls of water to crash down upon them, drowning the entire attacking army in one fell swoop. That's an example of the utter foolishness of the nations and rulers raging against the Lord, thinking they can overthrow his sovereign rule over them as is depicted here in Psalm 2. So does the Lord get anxious over all these mighty rulers who mock his word and his people? The president of the United States is considered by many to be the most powerful man in the world. And yet, he's clearly spoken against God's teaching on the value of every human life. He's spoken against God's sovereign creation, creating human life, male and female. And he's spoken against God's word on sexuality, He is one of the many governing leaders in our world today who both believe and declare that not every life is worthy of life, particularly unborn life. Does the Lord wring his hands in heaven and just plead with Americans, please make sure and vote for a different candidate next time around? Or when when communist or Islamic countries ban the Bible and arrest missionaries, does God start pacing up in heaven, worried that his plans for spreading the gospel around the world are going to be frustrated? We have God's response. God's response in verses 4 through 7 is this He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The response the Lord gives is to laugh in ridicule at the rulers and leaders in the world, which could include anyone who influences others anyone who has any influence over others. Just think about all, all those social media influencers who are regularly spouting their hatred and defiance of God and his word to their millions of followers each day. Many of those followers, of course, are teenagers or even younger than that. The Lord laughs at the foolishness of rebellious humanity that thinks that they are sovereign over him, that thinks that they can do whatever they please, that, be, that believes that they will never face any consequences for their wickedness. But the reality is, there is someone that all these leaders will have to answer to. There is a man who has all authority in heaven and on earth over them. And that man is God's son, the anointed one, the Christ, the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, as for me, the Lord says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The ESV translation here tries to emphasize the I in verse 6 by putting the phrase as for me before it. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, the Lord is literally saying I Twice He's saying, uh, I, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's emphasizing his sovereign response in establishing his king. And the reference here to to Zion is a reference to uh, the mountain where Jerusalem was built, the city which was central to the Jewish nation, also called the city of David. And then in verse 7, we have a change in who is speaking. Excuse me. Uh, it is the Lord God speaking in verse seven, and then in verse uh, in verse six, and then in verse seven. It's now the King that the Lord has anointed. So the King speaks now. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, "You are my son. Today I have begotten you." And this reminds us, of course, of what Jesus says about himself in John three sixteen. There Jesus says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son." or only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then we know that at the Lord's baptism and at his transfiguration, God the Father declared to Jesus, you are my beloved son. Very similar to what it says here in verse seven. You are my beloved son. Remember also what what Mark records as the very first message that Jesus proclaimed when he began his ministry in Mark 1, verse 15. Now, I know that we have a few of our ladies studying Mark together, so they should know this, uh, what Jesus first says. He says in Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Why does Jesus say the kingdom of God is at hand or is here? Well, you can only have a kingdom if you have a king. And the king was there. He was present. The king was Jesus, the son of God, the Lord's anointed. Jesus Christ is God's king. He's who Psalm 2 is talking about. Secondly, he will judge the rebellious nations. He will judge the rebellious nations. Now we've already heard about the rebellious nations in verses 1 through 3. We also know by experience the rebellious nature of not only rulers of the world but all people. Paul in Romans 3 quotes several different psalms when he he writes there, None is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The rebellious nature of the people of the earth was proven by the overall response to Jesus, to the Son of God, when he came into the world and began to proclaim the word of the Lord. Remember, the Bible tells us that for the first 30 years of uh, of the Son of God walking on the earth, hardly anyone even knew who he was. But when he began his teaching and healing ministry and said things like, the kingdom of God is at hand... Repent and believe the good news. We're told that people, primarily those who had influence over others, those in positions of leadership and authority, they wanted to kill him. And of course, they eventually did arrest him, condemned him, and crucified him. And in Acts chapter 4, in a prayer that, that Luke records, the early church praying, well, the early church quotes psalm 2 they quote psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 and they apply it directly to what the rulers and authorities did to jesus saying there in acts 4 for truly in this city that is in jerusalem the holy hill of zion they said there were gathered together against your servant your holy servant jesus whom you anointed both herod and pontius pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, which is, of course, an all-inclusive statement of everyone in the world, Gentiles and Jews, all the people of Israel. And they want to say, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place, which was the crucifixion of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, if you think about all those who banded together to oppose God's anointed one, Back then, you had the Romans, and then you had the Pharisees, the Jewish religious conservatives of the day. You also had the Jewish religious liberals of the day, the the, the Sadducees. You also had the Jewish zealots, those who wanted Jesus to lead a rebellion against Rome. And you also had those who openly compromised with Rome, like Herod and his people, Well, they were all political enemies of each other. Those groups couldn't agree on hardly anything except this. They all wanted Jesus dead. They all joined together and wanted and worked for the crucifixion of Jesus. They all wanted to silence him. They all agree that they must rebel against the Lord's anointed. And it's pretty much the same today. That is one thing that will unite Jews and Muslims. It will unite Hindus and communists. It will unite secular political leaders in our own nation of both parties, Republican and Democrat. They can all agree that they do not want Jesus to rule over them. But as God's word in Psalm 2 instructs us, it is incredibly unwise to rebel against King Jesus. For he will end up being the very king that we will all face in judgment. For he came to rule and to judge the world. Look at verses 8 through 10. Again, This is the Lord's anointed speaking here. Ask of me and I will make... The nations your heritage, actually he's talking about what the Lord God had told him. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. So verses 8 through 9 here speak of something more than just the judgment of this king. They also speak of what kind of a king Jesus came to be. It speaks of the kind uh, of a king that we have in Jesus. If we read verse 8 with the covenant promise that the Lord made to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, also on our minds, which it should always be on our minds when we're reading our Bibles, then we will see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through him. The Lord will give the nations to his Son, the Anointed One. As Revelation 7 tells us, there will be those from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne in white robes that is covered in Christ's righteousness before God in heaven. They will be found in Christ, be found in him. They will be saved from condemnation. For all those who have been blessed to come to faith in the Son of God and trust in him alone for their righteousness, God will give them to his Son to be blessed forever. So we all must know and understand that this world, the nations, has been promised to the Messiah. And Christ is our shepherd and will shepherd his people forever. We see that several times in the Psalms. That's what verse 9 is referring to as the rod of iron, that is, Uh, the king's scepter, which is based on a shepherd's staff. So the king is the shepherd over his people. And when it says, you shall break them with a rod of iron, the apostle John in Revelation took that as saying, you shall rule them with a rod of iron. The Hebrew can also be translated as rule rather than break. And it seems that that is how the apostles translated it. So Jesus is our shepherd and will care for those who come to him in faith and repentance. But just like a good shepherd, he will also use his scepter to defend his sheep and to judge his enemies, as the second half of verse 9 tells us. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Many people love the idea of having an all-powerful ruler take care of them, and watch over them. That's why so many people love the idea of Christmas. You know, Jesus is understood by so many to be, you know, kind of like Santa Claus. Just generously and joyfully handing out gifts and presents to any and all people, no matter what they believe, they believe in him or not. They love the idea of a king who will take care of you but make no demands on you one who will just bless you and allow you to do whatever you want to do, and if you make a mess of your life, no worries. He'll just swoop in and make it all right for you again. But they do not like the idea of a king who will judge us. They hate having a king who is sovereign over us and can do whatever he wants with us. As the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, Many would admit Christ to be their advocate to plead for them, but not their king to rule over them. But that is who Jesus Christ is. He's the king. He is the Lord's anointed. He is sovereign, and he will be the judge over you and me and President Biden and President uh, Xi of China And each of the leaders of Hamas, he is coming to judge us all. He is our judge. But he's also the Savior. So point number three, he will save those who submit to his rule. Verses 11 and 12. As we come to the end of the psalm, it really does seem to be a warning message For the kings and leaders of the earth and every rebellious sinner, and a rebellious sinner is just one who refuses to listen to God, one who refuses to do what the Lord says in his word, one who just does whatever they want to do, is a message that we ought to take seriously then. In these concluding verses, we come to what I believe is the main point of the whole psalm. That is, we must make sure that we are in a right relationship with this sovereign king, who is both the judge and savior of the nations. Look at verses 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were in Iowa City for the final home football game of the University of Iowa. We were in Kinnick Stadium with about 70,000 other fans, and it was a beautiful fall day. Sunny skies, over 50 degrees, no wind. Oh, man, it was great. And prior to the game, as we were standing up for the national anthem, uh, I saw some other fans start, start pointing you know, pointing up towards the northeast corner of the stadium, and so I looked up in that direction and saw these four huge military helicopters making their way towards the stadium to do a flyover. You know, before the game, uh, they were Sikorsky King Stallion helicopters—just huge, massive army helicopters. They're flying low, and they were impressive. You can see the huge guns and cannons on them. And with all that's been going on in the world, in Ukraine and in Israel, it kind of made me think, hmm, what if these were not our helicopters? What if we were at war and these were enemy aircraft? Here we all are, sitting ducks in this stadium while these helicopters could have unleashed a massive amount of firepower down upon us, we would all have been doomed. It made me incredibly grateful that those huge helicopters were for us and not against us. Verse 9 shows us that this anointed king, who is the Son of God, has a scepter that can either be used to protect or punish. Verses 11 and 12 strongly encourage the peoples of the earth to make sure that we are in a right relationship with the king and to not continue the foolishness of being his adversary. So here is the gospel invitation in the psalm. Here we are given the opportunity to respond to the good news and be saved but, this is nothing like you usually hear in a gospel invitation. Usually, at least many of the ones that, that I've heard, go something like, like this. God loves you so much, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. God is so into you. Don't you want to be in a relationship with him? Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, well, all you have to do is believe in him and receive his gift of salvation. Would you like to do that today? Instead, in Psalm 2, our gospel imitation is this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word for serve there in verse 11 could also be translated as worship. We are called to serve or worship Yahweh, worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's kind of like if I were actually in a war zone. And here's these huge Sikorsky King Stallion helicopters hovering over me, pointed right at me with their cannons ready to fire. And then I see the flash of smoke and light from their cannons. And I'm seeing the rockets heading in my direction at a terribly fast speed. And I know I'm doomed. And so I hit the ground In a feeble attempt to protect myself, only to realize a few seconds later that the rockets were directed towards the enemy soldiers who were advancing right behind me, and wipes them out. And I realized that those flying fortresses were not against me, but they were for me. And rather than destroying my life, they saved my life. that's when I would be ready to serve and honor those men in those helicopters with fear and rejoice with trembling. So when you come to worship, do you have that sense of the great danger you were in? That you were condemned under the judgment of God Almighty because of your sin? You deserved his wrath and hell but instead of getting wrath you have received blessing after blessing instead of God being your enemy he became your savior. Do you ever think about what you would be or where you would be heading without Christ's merciful, saving work that he accomplished for you? God shows his love for us that While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Verse 12 summarizes the choice that the world leaders and each one of us has, and that is we either pay homage to Jesus Christ the Son, that's what kissed the Son, means to humble yourself before him, pay homage, honor him as your king, as your sovereign, or come under his wrath and suffer in hell forever for your sinful rebellion against the perfectly holy and righteous God who has given you life only to have you use it to dishonor him and do evil. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is a way out. There is a way to escape his wrath, to be rescued from his judgment, but it is only found in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in the Son, in Jesus Christ. There is another ancient Advent hymn that I came across this week which matches up a little better with Psalm 2. It is called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And it goes like this, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly minded for with blessing in his hand Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood. Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day, that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. The anointed one is the saving refuge for all who come to him. But if you come to him, you need to submit to him as Lord, as king, as your ruler. And whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. So serve the Lord of fear, and rejoice with trembling, for there is no refuge from him, only in him.